you have to kind of give yourself the worth, like mm-hmm. by telling yourself, like, you know what, I'm worth that ten dollar coffee, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm I'm worth getting dressed out of my leggings today. Mm-hmm. They can be small. I'm worth doing my hair, or like, or I'm worth not doing my hair because I'm a boss and I don't need to. You know, you just have to own it, own that worth. Welcome to Make Bank with Marie Wold. I'm Marie, and for the last decade, I've been helping women set and hit unrealistic goals while building their definition of a rich life. This podcast is your ultimate destination for unfiltered discussions about personal development, entrepreneurship, wellness, confidence, wealth building, relationships, and so much more. We're creating our dream lives together, and I'm so glad you're here. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Today, we have a super exciting interview with the one and only Marley Frygang, who has always had a knack for the dramatic and was often caught singing It's a Hard Knock Life during cleanup in pre-K. That feels very relatable. Her acting training includes the distinguished staff of Playhouse West, Scott Can, as well as Gunnar Todd Rohrbacher, the author of The Comedy Code, and Alan Feinstein, a New York Drama Desk Award winner, three times Los Angeles Dramalogue winner. Marley is a wannabe it girl, self-proclaimed of Los Angeles. She's worked closely with celebs on the forefront of projects to bring original plays, film premieres, and commercial and influencer campaigns to life. She does a little bit of everything and is a multi-hyphenate, which I know all of you guys can relate to. And she's also chasing her dreams as an actress and podcaster. You can listen to her on her podcast, Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl, that delves into the raw reality of achieving your dreams. So you know she had to come on the show All of that resonates so deeply, just pulling back the curtain from the high pressure demands of the hustle and the experiences of the less than Instagrammable side of chasing your dreams. It's empowering. It's honest. It's real. It's actionable. All the things we love. So Marley, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to jump in. And I think the question that kind of comes top of mind when probably anyone discovers you and the brand, the podcast of Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl is what prompted you to like pull back the curtain? What started this? Why is this like the brand and the vision that you wanted to create? It's always a little bit of an embarrassing story, (laughs) even though I've told it so many times. I, you know, I think it's, it goes back all the way, you know, probably from middle school. But really when the idea and the feeling became presently known to me is about when I was transitioning from high school to college. And I made the move from New Mexico, a very small town. I'm actually not even from Albuquerque. I'm from Cedar Crest. 7,000 people live in Cedar Crest. We don't have a McDonald's. There's no mm-hmm. Starbucks. There's nothing. And I that made- is, That is the true sign of a small town is no Starbucks, right? no McDonald's. No Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. I would drive Mm -hmm. 30 minutes to get a Frappuccino when I was like, you know, 16. (laughs) And I made the move to Los Angeles and I kind of went through shock a little bit. I was Mm -hmm. a really good kid in school in a way that, you know, I really believed that Photoshop was, you know, the only way people were that skinny, that beautiful, that rich, that that lifestyle wasn't real. Like I truly believed it. I was a great listener. And then I moved to LA. I went to a beautiful college. And that kind of went like right back in my face. And I found out, you know, that there were people that were that wealthy, that rich, that beautiful, had that many followers, you know, were that skinny. And I was kind of like, wait, like what? I thought that was just like, you know, the things like 
Hollywood told us. And they were like, yeah. well, this is Hollywood, Marley. And I was like, oh, cool. Mm. So I, you know, definitely really lost a lot of confidence. Not that I think I was coming in with a whole lot of confidence freshman year, but I really had to go through this journey of, you know, figuring out who I was in this very like high pressured city of everyone's doing something. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be someone. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? And I started to just feel so out. Like we use mm-hmm. the term, I use the term it girl. I know that girl is very popular too, but <laughs> it girl. And I was like, I feel like such an out girl. Mm-hmm. And it brought me brought up so much insecurities. And then I started to realize, well, if I feel this way, someone else has to feel this way too. Mm -hmm. And that kind of is where the idea of confessions of a wannabe it girl came to be. You know, it's the idea that like we can all feel out, even the people who, you know, we perceive as having it. You know, I used Mm -hmm. to give the example of the Victoria's Secret model. Even the Victoria's Secret model, you know, she wants to be a high fashion model, a couture model. You know, it just Mm -hmm. never ends. We're, you know, shoved into a society where we constantly compare and despair and it never ends. So like at what point are we just going to settle and be like, you know what, I'm my own it girl. And Mm -hmm. that is kind of where the idea came from. That's amazing. I feel like I can so relate to your perception of LA. I lived there for not even a year, 11 months. I lived in LA and I went there because I had just graduated college. I was like, I need to get out of my hometown. Like so many people I know are going to end up like getting married here, having kids here, dying here. Like this is not going to be it for me. And so me and my now husband moved to LA, but we didn't really know like why we wanted to be in like we didn't really have like a set goal of what we wanted to accomplish in LA we just had friends there we were in the fitness industry at the time so we were like let's just see what there is to see right and like you said everyone is there with a goal a mission like laser focus on some sort of thing and when you don't have that LA is so overwhelming. So like you feel like you're behind, even though you're like, I'm not even going anywhere. I don't, how can I be behind when I have no, I'm not running a race. I'm not even in a race right now, but I'm just behind. And there's always a race going on. (laughs) Yeah. Like LA really has that energy, even if it's not explicitly said or explicitly like asked of you, it's just that energy of everyone's doing something. Everyone's making something of themselves. Everyone wants something from you and you better like, you better keep up. So I had a very like similar experience, but obviously I didn't last. (laughs) I moved away, but I can totally relate to that. For sure. For sure. I think it's totally like you can still have that mentality and not be in LA. It just happens to hit you in the face here. (laughs) For sure. Like it is just this undeniable kind of expectation, pressure, energy. And I think from what I've seen from your content is like the, you said, what did you say? You said LA is a city where you can be like crying your eyes out one minute and being like getting your you're getting your picture taken on a carpet the next. And like, it is just such a place of duality and Mm -hmm. it's such a place where like everything looks glitz and glam and like sometimes it is that but it's also met with like just as low of lows right and you know some people here really love to like suffer in private you know people are you know 100k in debt and won't talk about it you know or you know they're they're rubbing their last two pennies together preying on this job to work out and you know we don't speak as much about that. Yeah, I think with the culture of social media authenticity, that's starting to change a little bit. But like 
yeah, it is. It's a weird duality, you know, and at the same time, like you can be on the carpet, like, you know, crying your eyes out the day before. But like at the end of the day, like it is a very privileged and grateful thing to be able to, you know, do these things that in Los Angeles do seem somewhat like normal to us that, you know, other people would, you know, give their left foot to do. And so there is like a little bit of a reality check of like, we should be grateful for those things too. I mean, I know that, you know, that we should all be more grateful, but like at the same time, like you're still here, you're still doing the thing, you're still chasing the dream. But like, yes, at the same time, like it's not all roses. It's not all Instagrammable. And, you know, no one knew that that day, you know, I cried my eyes out before probably about how I'm not where I want to be in my acting career. And, you know, but the next minute it's like, shove it up the butt. I need to be grateful that I'm here <laughs> and just go out, you know, and, and do get this. a good photo for the gram while you're yeah. out. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There were definitely times where I'd be like on my way to like an influencer event or like, yeah, like an event, a party, something. And I'm like stressed about being in traffic or running late or like stressed because of something that happened with my business or whatever. And, and then you get there and you're like, oh, I like made it to the thing that I wanted to do. So I need to just be present, like enjoy that I'm here and forget about all the other shit that's happening because that's just part of the journey. Right. Yeah. And I do think that's also like a life skill sometimes, not always. Sometimes it's, you know, being professional in those situations. You can have bald your eyes out that day. You could be having the worst day, but like those people, you know, you're having a meeting with or you're working on set with whatnot, they have worked just as hard to be there too. So like, you know, pull it together for them, for the team, but yeah. like still honor your emotions. It's a very interesting balance as well. Yeah. So when you moved to LA, was the goal to become an actor? Like, was that already the vision, the mission, or was it simply like, kind of like me where you're like, I'm leaving my hometown. Like LA seems to be the move. <laughs> There's always a little bit of see you later hometown, but no, I had, I mean, I'd always wanted to be an actor. I, you know, I was thespian president in high school. I was state thespian president, like very nerdy, whatnot. But I actually went to college for dance. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a huge part of my journey of starting Confessions too, is I wanted to be a professional dancer. You know, that's the cool, sparkly, hot thing for, you know, a 19, 18-year-old to do. And, you know, sometimes being an actor in high school can be considered nerdy or whatnot, whatnot. So, you know, obviously I wanted to do the cool, sparkly thing. And while I was in college, I really struggled with performance anxiety, like Mm. horrible. I mean, I couldn't memorize choreography. I would have panic attacks in class, kind of in private, but like in public because like we're standing in a room and everyone's there. And I just realized I was absolutely miserable doing this. And I also realized I didn't want to work dance jobs that weren't sparkly enough, you know, yeah. I didn't want to take those. And I was like, you know what, maybe I I don't want to dance. And so I moved to LA to dance. But mm-hmm. yes, there was always an entertainment focus for me. Yeah. Okay, cool. I definitely want to dig into that more and kind of the journey of like making it as an actor. But I want to first go more into the it girl persona, the it girl vibe, the it girl definition. So what does it mean to you to be an it girl? Like, is it an energy? Is it a lifestyle? Like, define it for us. Well, first, I think we can't not acknowledge what the world perceives a girl to be. You know, it's the, you know, Heidi Klum's, the Paris Hilton's, the, you know, whatnot. It's this very 
kind of boxed. It's the Barbie, you know, it's whatever. It's this very boxed idea of you have to look this way, be this way, be this successful. And that's kind of like the traditional idea. And I acknowledge the traditional idea. Like, you know what? I love it. I'm like, that's amazing. I love Paris Hilton. Give me a juicy couture tracksuit. I get it. (laughs) But at the same time, like that is so one-dimensional to Mm -hmm. what an it girl could be. So for me, you know, an it girl is kind of like an essence. You know, it's you believing that you are an it girl. I have said this before that it's kind of like you are so in your own zone, chasing your own dream, doing your own thing and pushing yourself beyond your boundaries to be you know, who you want to be in this world. And to me, that's an it girl. And Audrey Hepburn has this like quote, and I'm kind of going to butcher it, but you know, somebody always comes up to her or used to come up to her and say, you know, I want to be Audrey Hepburn. I want to be Audrey Hepburn. And she was like, no, you should be your own Audrey. And that's the same thing with an it girl. You should be your own it girl. You know, it's the idea of I want to be 1% better for myself and keep, get out there and live the best life. You know, it's really morbid, but I think about like laying on your deathbed. You want to chase the dream because we only got one shot right now, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I know it's so easy to assume that like others have it or they feel like they have it. I think being like being the it girl and so many other like aspirational things or being that girl or whatever it is, I think often we'll see it and we can kind of like pinpoint when we're experiencing it or when we are witnessing someone in their it girl essence, but then we're like, oh, that's good for them. But like, couldn't be me or it must be so easy for them or it must come naturally to them or whatever it is. So what is your advice for people who might be feeling that way or they're like, I want that, but it doesn't feel accessible to me. That doesn't feel like something that I could like tap into. How can we shift into at least feeling like it's possible to like have the it girl energy identify like what that means for you and that it is possible. Totally. I mean, I think you have to look about what look at the it girl energy like that you're seeing on someone else and see honestly maybe the thing that makes you feel insecure, makes you mm. maybe feel the buzzword triggered. And yeah. that's probably the thing you want. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for me it's honestly often appearance. And I'm kind of going through about of that too. You know, I look at people and I think, oh, she's so beautiful. So she must have it all. It must be so easy for her. And then I have to remove myself and be like, oh, like uh, it's because I'm feeling insecure about Mm -hmm. the way I look. That must be something I have value on. And then I kind of go like, okay, well, why do I have value on that? I'm like, okay, I have value on that because I think it makes life easier for people. And why can't I have that? And then I start to realize like, I can have that. I just have to be the first person to believe it because if I Mm -hmm. don't believe I'm beautiful, why would anyone else on some Mm -hmm. level? You know, it's kind of like asking somebody to do, like, can I do brain surgery on you? I'm kind of nervous to do it. (laughs) No, I'm absolutely not. Will you be doing brain surgery on me? But like, you know, you have to believe it to have other people. So, you know, saying to yourself, like, I am beautiful. I am, you know, wealthy, you know, whatever it may be, will help you take that ownership, you know, and identifying the thing that makes you insecure is like the first start. And, you know, I do think there is so much to be said about identifying the insecurity, knowing you're insecure about it and being Mm -hmm. aware of it, but not letting it have weight. It's like, it's okay. I'm totally okay with the fact of being like, hey, I'm sometimes insecure about the way I look and I know it, but I just, I don't let that 
hold the weight down. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like, whatever. It's not, that's not my core belief. It's only one essence of me. It's, you know, for a split second, it's not 365 days, 24 hours a day. And I think that is so important to all of our, you know, things that hold us back is like, we are just so much more of people than what we see on social media mm-hmm. than what we put out on social media. You know, what you are in one isolated friendship or relationship, you are so much more. So it's a lot of focus too on just being the whole self. And I would say my tip, you know, for someone who is working on it girl energy, whatever, I'm always working on it girl energy. I but Yeah, it's like no, a daily practice. It's a daily thing. Like, versus like, I've achieved it. Check. Th- lies. Lies. Absolute lies. And that is the rhetoric that I cannot stand. Mm -hmm. It's like nobody feels perfect 100% of the time. Can you turn it on because you have a work event? Maybe. I'm sure Kim Kardashian has. Like, you know, whatnot. But like you have to kind of give yourself the worth like Mm -hmm. by telling yourself like, you know what? I'm worth that $10 coffee. Whatever. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm worth getting dressed out of my leggings today. Mm-hmm. They can be small. I'm worth doing my hair or like or I'm worth not doing my hair because I'm a boss and I don't need to. You know, you just have to own it. Own that worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but when I was doing a lot of stuff with like big figures in the like fitness industry, like I was meeting all these people with millions of followers and people who were on magazines and all this stuff. And I was seeing them in person. And not only was I realizing like, oh, they look very different than like on the internet, Mm -hmm. but also like talking to them and meeting them and talking to them like normal human beings gave me so much permission to just be a human on the journey and lower my expectations. I think I assumed earlier on in my journey. And obviously comparison is still a thing that everyone deals with. But like early on in my journey, I believed that I needed to be perfect in order to have the life that I wanted. Like I needed to have the perfect morning routine every single day, never wavers. I need to have the perfect body that looks good from every angle. I need to have the perfect lifestyle, the perfect whatever. Like I needed to have everything perfect because the people that I was trying to be like are perfect, right? Because that was that was the image that was portrayed to me. And then I started meeting some of these people. And I was like, oh, and not in like a bitchy way of like, you're not as pretty in person, but like, oh, like you, your skin has texture the way mine has texture. And like, you actually don't look perfect from every single angle. You just know your angles in front of the camera. Like I can do that. I can handle that. Or like they were having a bad day. I have bad days. And I think just having access to those people gave me so much permission and like validated my dreams of I don't have to be perfect. I can actually be a human being. So I'm wondering if you've had a similar experience in the entertainment industry and just like having access to more and more people who are it, who are perceived like broadly perceived as it Mm -hmm. and are further ahead. Like what was there a moment where that kind of image shattered for you? And you're like, oh, this yeah. is this is normal humans just being pedestaled, basically. I don't know if there was one exact moment. Like I can't pinpoint like the day the, the curtain fell down yeah. for me. But like slowly over time, a working in the entertainment industry and seeing how things were made and how much of a production mm. things were, how many people were involved, how much, you know, lighting, makeup editing, you know, executive producers' opinion, directors' opinions and whatnot, 
really showed to me like that craft of like what we perceive maybe sometimes as celebrity is like it's brand and it's mm-hmm. people and it's mm-hmm. crafted. It's not just like they woke up like this. Yeah. And that just started to fall down more and more. I remember I was working this commercial job and we were shooting a game show. And, you know, the two people were supposed to be like in different places, like having a conversation. Mm-hmm. They weren't even filmed on the same day. Completely yeah. skipped it. Yeah. The games they're playing with each other, not random, like it's selected. You know, yeah. and you just start to realize like all of this is produced. And that goes even down to TikTok for me because yeah. I know we push so much for authentic content. And I'm like, what? what is authentic content, by the way? I'm like, please, please let me know. And even TikTok where we're supposed to have authentic content – you still thought of the idea. It's still yeah. being recorded. It's still yeah. edited. It's a produced medium. And it's this idea that like, you know, we do produce life and we do put our best foot forward sometimes. We put our little more honest foot forward, but that's still like a conjured idea. And I think mm-hmm. that is when I really started to realize that like, you know, it's not all so 1D. Mm-hmm. You know, and also the celebrities I've spent time around – I've noticed in the ways you would never think they have, you know, different insecurities or, and they're never the same, but I heard this story once from a good friend of mine. She was working on a a movie and she was working alongside a very large actress. And that night was like the golden globes or something. And she was like in the makeup chair, like crying because she was invited to the golden globes, but she wasn't invited to the after party. This is an A-list fucking actor. And it's like, it just never ends. Yeah. There's always more. There's There's always always more. Another level, another like someone coming for your spot, whatever. Like there's always more. There's always more. So it's just like, that's when the curtain, it's like, you just got to be at peace where you're at and then Mm -hmm. like let life happen and live it. Yeah. So what's your approach then to balancing like the gratitude for where you are, embracing where you are, celebrating the wins as they come, but then also like stoking that like ambition and that hunger and that drive to keep moving forward? Because I think that's such a delicate balance. It's a delicate balance. And honestly, I'm not a master at it at all because I will do something that's like so great for my career. And it's like a brush off the shoulder, not even a pat on the back. And, you know, I'm always focused on the big goal and it's something I've had to learn that, you Mm -hmm. know, chasing a career and a dream career is actually about the small step wins. It's not about the big ones. I've heard this story again and again, and I don't know who it happened to, or if this is just a myth, they tell us like, you know, (laughs) D-list actors that, you know, the day after an actor wins an Academy Award is like one of the saddest days of their life because they're like, I've yeah. done it. What do, What else is there now to what? do but win four more, you know, which maybe, yeah. I don't know, you know, you can, yeah. but like, you know, so you have to celebrate the journey. You know, I'm not good at it. That's what I've heard we're supposed to do. <laughs> Allegedly. We're Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. We're on the street. Is, <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, I do celebrate the small steps. Like, you know, something huge happened to me on set one day and I'll never forget it because I, you know, I'd had a really intense, I was going to say emotional, but I wasn't really emotional, intense scene. And 
it was like 4.30 in the morning and humble brag, you know, and I didn't think I did anything amazing. And I got a standing ovation from the crew. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was huge. And you know, I'm, I have talked about it with the people who were there because like, I'm like, like that has happened to me, but you know, that, that will forever be a moment that I celebrate and remember. And that's a small step and that's a win, you know, but the fact that I was even there is also a win. Right. Yeah. Just getting in the room. And I think it, that goes back to the quote that you see like floating around from time to time of like where you are today is like you a year ago was, was your dream, right? Like where you are now was just a dream to you to pass to you and like just celebrating that and acknowledging that. And even when it's like the shit of your, you had to be there till four, four thirty AM, right? Like that's exhausting. But also, I'm assuming you stayed late till 4.30 a.m., not you woke up for 4.30 Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that was like a really strenuous shoot. Like we started at 4 p.m., <laughs> like ended at like 5. And the next night we started at 6 p.m. and ended at 6 a.m. Like, yeah, it was cool, very cool, strenuous. Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's hard as hell exhausting. But like yeah. past you would have been so geeked out to be like, oh, my God, we're like really doing it. Like we're really in a production. Like this is yeah. sick, you know? That was so sick. It's like, it's the, it's those moments of gratitude along the way. And I think just like stepping back and being like, damn, because sometimes I'll even be like, we didn't quite hit like our cash goal for the month or something. And then I'm like, wait, you like two, three years ago would have been like crying on the floor about making this much money in a month. Like that is insane. Right. Yeah. And so it's that like a zoom out perspective, but it's, it can be hard when you're in it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, they always talk about do it for, you know, your younger child, but like literally do it for like you two years ago, like 22 year old gnarly too. Like that's fine. (laughs) That's just as valid. Yeah. And so much can change in two, three years. And I think that's another thing that always keeps me going is like, damn, if I look back at how much I've already grown from two, three, five years ago, like where I'm going to be in another two, three, five years, if I keep it up is wild. Yeah. And that's what gets me through the hard days too, is like where we're going, you know, like you don't know, you never know. Yeah. So this kind of ties into something else I wanted to ask you about, because you said recently that there's a lot of like gatekeeping around the idea of a dream job and Mm -hmm. that's painted as like the pinnacle of your existence, the pinnacle of your career is like make it and what that actually means and what it takes to get there. What do you mean by the gatekeeping? Is that like people just aren't honest about what it takes or it's being over glamorized or what is what have you found to be the truth about that, especially in an industry where it's so like I think everyone knows that it's the the one percent is the people who are in the media at. Yeah, like getting their awards and everyone else is chasing that dream. Right. You know, it's it's this interesting idea. These careers are so hard, you know, but every career these days is so hard. You know, it's not, that is something too. Like the entertainment industry is not an isolated incident here. No, I think anything that's like really cool and idolized and sexy is like hard as hell. Like no one's getting there on accident. Maybe the whole like Nepo baby conversation, but like still that requires I do believe this about Nepo babies. They need, in my opinion, they need to acknowledge that their foot got in the door, but your foot didn't stay in the door just because you're a mm-hmm. Nepo baby. You might get the shot, but like right. you got to make the shot still. You can blow it. And you know, yeah. I'm sure where's the article about the Nepo babies who've blown it because I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure that's happened. 
you know, it does feel gatekept because I think these careers are so hard. They're so sparkly. Everybody wants Mm -hmm. them. And the people who have them know that they they went Mm -hmm. through it. Like it's not a secret to them that these are very hard careers and there's a lot of jadedness and there's a lot of grudges. And so sometimes not always. And I do think there is sometimes a disposition that women won't help as much because it was harder for them. And like, totally get that. Like it was harder for you want to see somebody else work just as hard as you did before you give them a hand. I understand that. But you know, at the same time, like we should all lean a hand and it does feel gatekept. It feels, you know, like the cards are up to the chest. Like I got here and people, my favorite answering, I networked my way here. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like you networked your way here. Like you, you, you know, got someone's business card and then you bought someone else's business card and you bought them a, you know, Michelin star dinner. What does Slid that into mean? into their LinkedIn DMs. Like what, what does that mean? And that's what I mean. That's what I want people to be more honest about. What, stop yeah. saying networking. Start saying like, you know what? I ran into this one person at my friend's friend's party. And then I asked them relentlessly to get coffee with me. And when I went mm-hmm. and got coffee with them, I really listened and we talked about their hobbies and I learned about their hobbies. And then, you know, when there was a big tennis match in LA, I let them know and was like, would you like to go? That's networking. But we never talk mm-hmm. about the actual steps. Mm-hmm. We just like throw it out there. So like, I want to get into like the nitty gritty of what you did to get there. And even when I ask people that question, in podcast interviews, they're like, it's all relationships. And I'm like, I pull teeth to try to get them to say, no, like, what did you actually do? Like, even if it's like, I slept with blah, blah, blah's brother, I don't care. Tell me what you did because that is the information we want and need, you know, and that is truly helping. And I will say one other thing, my not uncle, but uncle told me that he's an actor. He told me this advice. So many people are terrified to ask for help. Mm. Ask for help. Ask for advice. Ask Mm -hmm. for an introduction. You don't know if you don't ask. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always, oh, they outrank me, da-da-da-da. Let them say no. Let them say not now, but in two years. Like, it's fine to ask. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice that has stuck with me forever, and I don't even know who to attribute it to, but it's if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. Like if you don't ask, you there's not even a possibility that it could be a yes. If you do ask, the possibility, it might be 0.1%, but it's still higher than if you didn't ask. And if you ask enough people enough times, like someone's going to say yes. Someone's going to crack the door open for you. Someone's going to like extend a hand. And I think this is true for literally every industry. Like even my husband, he's he does mortgages. He's in the real estate industry and he works on the number one team in Austin, like one of the top 25 teams in Texas. Like they're like big shots in the mortgage industry. My husband's only been doing it for a few years. And the way he got this job, because most people have to cut their teeth at like Wells Fargo and Chase and whatever else. Like most people have to do that. He kind of line jumped. Like he got the fast pass to like being on the Yankees, basically. I don't know how many analogies I'm gonna, or metaphors I'm going to give. but I love them. The way he got this job is we asked someone we knew who is big in real estate in, in town, who we know from my riding. Like His daughter rides at the barn with me. I'm an equestrian. And so we knew him. We talked to her dad, who's a real estate developer. We said, do you know anyone? And he made the introduction to his buddy, right? Who has this like mortgage team that's top in the country. 
And my husband followed up with this man for six months straight. Every week, he called him, he texted him, and the guy wasn't even saying no. He was like, I don't have anything for you yet. Keep keep following up, keep following up. And he actually did. And he was not the most qualified person. He was not the... They wanted to make an internal hire, so it looked good to the people. He was not on paper the person that should have been hired, but he was persistent as fuck. And he asked like repeatedly and built that relationship. And the guy was like, you know what? I can I can trust you to get shit done. I can trust you to to answer the phone when a lead calls. I can trust you to follow through when we have a deal to close. Like you're hired. And that's how he got on this like all-star team was literally just asking, like first asking for an introduction, then asking the guy for the job repeatedly for six months. And like that's that's what it takes. Yeah, because you also earned your stake. You're, you earned your stake and you showed your resilience. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm impressed. Like six months. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. So, like, ask. Also, right. some people are really willing to help. Like, they really are. Yeah. Like, if someone came to me and they're like, I want to start a podcast. I want to be an actor. I'm like, let's get on Zoom. And it's also the follow through. Like, I will, mm. you know, say to them, like, let's get on Zoom. And it's like, never schedule an appointment or like, mm. never, you know. Mm -hmm. follow through. Right. It's so easy to be like, I want to pick your brain or ask people for advice, but who's actually going to like get in the room, who's actually going to follow through, who's actually going to implement. And I see that a lot. Like in my industry, people will say, I love your content. I love your podcast. I took your workshop, whatever it is. I go and they'll even be like, I'm going to start my business in a month when it's better timing. Go check on them like six months later. Nothing. Nothing's happened. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think it's also that that level of of action and just the the messy action and the genuine intention to make shit happen, like regardless of the odds. And that's actually, I want to talk to you about the odds, like mm. in an industry, anyone who has like a huge audacious goal, right? Like to be at the 1% of my industry, to be at the 1% of your industry, to be at the 1% of the mortgage industry, like mm. my husband, whatever it is, like there is a level of just owning the fact that you are going for something that is completely against the odds. What is your mindset about that? Like, are you just like, I'm delusional and, I, and it works for me? Because personally, I think I am a bit delusional and it, it is my secret weapon. But I know that everyone has a different approach of how they see the odds when the odds are knowingly against them. It's tough. You know, it is, you know, really tough. And obviously, you know, we're in the strike and, you know, it's become very obvious about, you know, that most actors in SAG, which I'm a member of, you know, make less than $26,000 a year. That's less than a part-time job. And yeah, yeah, it's tough. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to accept that it's rare. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I I think my brain is like (laughs) rewired to just be like, "Eh, that's not true. And even if my part of myself does know it is true. I'm just like, ignorance is bliss or I'm going to pretend ignorance is bliss because that's my life and that's what I want. And Mm -hmm. it goes back to the deathbed idea. Like I'm not going to be there thinking about I didn't try. And you know, if we're talking about acting, acting careers come in all shapes and forms. We see, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Blake Lively, whatever. We see those and we're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, that's an acting career. I'm like, I see the girl who has been 
acting for 25 years. She's in my acting class. She says, do you want fries with that? In an episode of like Grey's Anatomy. She is a great actor. That's still an acting career to me. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it does take a range and I'm just going to be like ignorance is bliss and I'm going to pretend even if I even if I lose some of that I'm always just going to be in that mindset of try yeah what not yeah. I mean there's this quote that I love it's from Think and Grow Rich really famous book a little outdated but it is really famous analogy from this book. I even believe there is a second book written about just this concept. Mm-hmm. It's about this guy and he went, you know, to go find gold in the gold rush and whatnot. And he got – he he didn't have the research. He didn't know what he was doing, whatever. He just dug and dug and dug and dug and never found it. Mm-hmm. And then he told this other person. He was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm, I'm out. You want the land? And he bought it. And then he went back with a little bit more research and it turns out the first guy was only three feet away from the yeah. gold. You never yeah. know when you're three feet away from gold. Mm-hmm. Ignorance That's is when most people quit, right? Like That's they, when most people quit. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And plus when you do make it, like you have to have a cool story of when your back was against the wall and against all odds you kept going and blah, blah, blah. Like I always think about that of like, I want to be so proud of the way I tell the story of how I made it happen and how against all odds, I just kept going. And I, you also learn so much from every time you fail or every time you don't get mm-hmm. the role or every time you don't hit the goal or whatever it is. And so I want to ask you how you stay focused, stay on track and like tap back into that it girl energy when you don't get a role or when you don't get the opportunity that you wanted or when, cause I know that act, like working actors put themselves forward for tons and tons and tons of stuff that they don't get. And that's just completely normal. So what is kind of, whether it's like a ritual or like a mantra or, or just what is your headspace like when that happens and you know, you need to like get back to it girl mode. Cause that's where shit happens. There's a few things. First of all, you know, I've been doing this, you know, I'd say pre-professionally maybe one or two years and then, you know, professionally three or four. And you know, at one point it's kind of like add it to the pile, just like add it on, like <laughs> yeah. whatever. And it's made it. And I'm sure you've experienced this too with like pitching mm-hmm. yourself for brands or, you know, whatnot. It's like, just add it to the pile. Like mm-hmm. you, there is this mentality of like, okay, on to the next. But yeah, there has yeah. been opportunities that like I've lost out of because God knows why. And it's hard. And I'm glad that I've gained this mentality now of just add it to the pile. But, you know, at the same time, I don't really have a mantra. If I need to, I just cry. I'm going to be yeah. completely honest. I ball it out. It will get to me like on a random Thursday, two weeks later, yeah. and I'll be like, I'm nowhere in my career. And you just have to let it out. But mm-hmm. this goes back to something I was talking about at the very beginning. I have created for myself, you know, the podcast or another love and another thing mm-hmm. that like, in those moments, I'm like, you know, I have complete control over my podcast right now. Like, you know, yeah. I don't have a network, whatever, whatnot. Like, I can throw myself into that. So having something else that doesn't mm-hmm. make you so desperate for mm-hmm. it. Because also desperate energy really pushes people away. Yes. But also like then I have, you know, I have other things to live for. I'm in a loving relationship. I have family. I have friends. Mm-hmm. I have 
other things. I am not only Marley the actor. I'm Marley the Mm -hmm. podcaster. I'm Marley the entrepreneur. I'm Marley the cat lover and whatnot. And that is what I really lean on in those times that Mm -hmm. just feel like whatnot. But like we don't want to be 1D because Mm -hmm. also three-dimensional person is so much more interesting in a job environment. You never want to hang out with Steve who only plays (laughs) video games because all you can talk about is video games. You want to hang out with Martha who, you know, has three dogs and, you know, goes out to cool bars on Wednesdays, whatnot. Like have, have a life, have a life. Yeah. And that just gives you so much perspective. Like I'm always telling my clients to get hobbies because when you're an entrepreneur or when you have like a very tunnel vision personality, it's so easy to let that be your entire identity, your entire world. Right. And I totally recognize that like there are seasons where you are like hustling and that is you're the only thing you have time to focus on. For example, mm-hmm. like I totally think there are seasons where that's valid, but like big picture, we need to have other things that keep us grounded, keep us like with our head on straight because there was time where back in my Fitzbo days, like someone asked me, what are your hobbies? I was like, well, I work out, I go to eat. And they're like, working on an eating, like aren't a personality trait. Like we need right. more here. And I was like, so triggered by that. I was like, what do you mean? This is my life. And then I was like, oh, I actually don't have like, when I go to the gym, I'm recording it for my YouTube. When I'm going out to eat, I'm putting it on my Insta. Like, this is all part of my brand. And this is not okay. And that's actually what got me back into riding horses was like, I need to reconnect with like one of my passions and have a life outside of this business that I'm building. And I'm always telling people like get a freaking hobby. I don't care if it's like you've never done pottery a day in your life and you sign up for a pottery class or if it's pickleball or if it's knitting sweaters for naked cats. Like I don't care what it is, but we need like something that keeps us grounded and gives us perspective outside of whatever dream we're chasing. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Just French. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up because I think (laughs) Again, like when you're chasing big goals and when you're so passionate about it, it's easy to get consumed. It's easy. And sometimes there is that is the right move for like that season. But big picture, yeah, you need that balance. I love a hustle season. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like I'll have a you – know, I'm not in a hustle season for the podcast. I'm in a hustle season for figuring out – what makes me happy right now. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's You're okay about to, to be in a hustle season for wedding planning. Yeah, I was going to say that, whole but mission. I didn't want my mom to hear that because she'll be like, that's not true. I'm completely joking. But, you know, it's okay to have a focus and like, but have something to pull you out of that. Because also something that happened to me was I was working on a play with a celebrity and it was a really amazing experience for me. And I gave my all to it. Mm -hmm. Like a hundred percent. I'm so glad I did. But my life was like crumbling behind me Mm. while it was happening. And then when it ended, I was like lost. Like depressed Mm -hmm. isn't even the word. Like I was swirling. Like I didn't have structure anymore. I didn't – this is before I started the podcast. Didn't know what I was doing. And it's like you need to have something to keep you grounded when, you know, people go on strike when, you know, the internet goes down, whatever it may be, like you just need to have another grounding point. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to tie in the the strike to our conversation too, because sure. that's been so in the news. I think we just, as of us recording this, we just passed a hundred days of the strike, I want to say. For writers, yes. Yeah. So what is your 
kind of perspective on, I guess, the crash course for people who are who have seen the headlines, who understand a little bit of what's happening, like as a working actor, what is kind of your soapbox statement on that? And then also from people outside the industry, like what should we be doing to support the people who want to make a living in the industry? Totally. Love. I love strike conversation. You know, I binged TV before (laughs) binging TV was cool. And, you know, so the whole, I think it's important for people to understand what's happening. You know, first of all, understand that, you know, the little indie film that your friends are putting on that has, you know, a SAG agreement, we're not talking about them. We're talking about major, major studios. The studios we know, Fox, Disney, Mm -hmm. Netflix, Amazon, Apple, whatnot. Like we're talking about those big streaming services that we all are subscribed to. Mm -hmm. You know, this has to go back a little farther. You know, when we were children, when we watched cable and we watched, you know, Sweet Life, Zach and Cody, whatever. And it aired and it then that show would air again. People got paid what is called residual money. They got Mm -hmm. paid for their like an image being, you know, the writing. They got paid again for it being used. Mm -hmm. And then in 2007, there was actually a little bit of a strike about – not a little bit. There was a strike, you know, about DVDs, you know, and how Mm -hmm. people weren't seeing residual money from that. So then we moved to streaming, you know, and they're like, yeah, we're going to – you know, we don't know how this is going to go. It's the internet. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it blows up. I mean, who has – who other than my best friend who like lives by, and breathes by Bravo, I don't know anyone who owns cable anymore and football no. fans. That's like I collect it. subscriptions like they're like infinity stones. Like, Me too. I have every subscription that exists. Right. And like so we moved to streaming. Yeah. And back when things were on cable – the numbers of what the streaming was public – or not the streaming, I'm sorry. What the the numbers of viewership for cable mm-hmm. was a public information. Like you could find mm-hmm. that out. You know, everybody would yeah. come back to set on Monday and be like, oh my God, the numbers, what da da Moves to streaming, that's private. We've mm-hmm. never seen – so we've never known – You Like know, only like the highest up have that kind of – yeah, I, I don't even know who has it. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. We, I mean, I'm sure they have it, but like, we don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, you know, they're like, it's the internet. It's crazy. We, you know, whatnot. And the contracts are old because streaming didn't exist. Things like friends, yeah. you know, weren't going to be yeah. like, on- it's not like they were negotiating for that right. when they for signed their contracts rights. for friends. Exactly. And they actually ended up being paid a ton for friends okay. being on Netflix. I think everybody made a million dollars, like the entire cast. Not the point. The point is that now shows like, I don't know, we'll talk about like Orange is the New Black. Cast member has come out and said, you know, that was made for Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, their residual checks for that, we're talking cents. We're not talking even dollars. We're talking cents, like $7, whatnot. This girl was in like 23 episodes of Orange is New Black. That is what changed Netflix. That is what made Netflix a studio, not just a, you know, platform. So, you know, we're fighting about residuals and there's two different strikes going on. There's a writer's strike and there's an actor strike. So the writer's Mm -hmm. strike has been going on for much longer. They are actually potentially having conversations again, you know, and they should be paid residual money as well. Actors, same thing, residual money. And then, so that's enough a reason to have strike. Show Mm -hmm. us the numbers, the streamers. Show us the numbers. That's a reason enough to have a strike. Then 
the more so publicized, but originally wasn't publicized, pinpoint in both of these contracts with the AMTP is AI, the use Mm. of AI. You know, so for writers, you know, they want to pay writers potentially, you know, to get all together, have a little think group, come up with a really great premise and then write it, be like, here's this amazing premise. We'll use Gossip Girl. You know, these privileged upper class New Yorkers, socialites who have this internet stalker, type that into AI and write me 10 episodes and then like not pay the writers for that. That's like an example of how it could work. So now that's- Pay you just for the amount of time it took you to think of the idea. Right. And then it's the same thing for the actors. They want you to come in potentially. This is- the only example I can truly give that has been spoken about is for extras or background work. Come in, mm-hmm. get your image scanned, get paid one day work, which is about two twenty-five, I think, and then they can use your image and likeness for eternity, forever, and oh, you never see a dime again for it. That's terrifying. It's terrifying because they could and- just like. Uh, plop you into the background of something and like CGI your exactly your movements and you could do things that maybe you wouldn't consent to or approve of like your values or how you want to be portrayed that's exactly it's terrifying and you know also this is why I you know WME and CAA I think really need to be part of this conversation what happens when that extra is the next Margot Robbie how are you going to get that back how yeah. are we going to get that back? You know, and that's why I think agencies should be a little bit more involved in the conversation. But that mm-hmm. is like a tidbit of what is going on with the strike. And, you know, I we're out here. We're going to find a way, I think. Yeah. You know, there's always compromise. At the end of the day, everybody watches TV. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I'm I'm hopeful. But, like, yeah, like, let's strike. Yeah, for sure. I also saw there's a conversation around um, – for like qualifying for healthcare, like you need to work a certain amount of days. And like the longer the strike goes on, the more it's making it difficult for people to get their healthcare and provide for their families. Like the the strike is so important for so many reasons, but it, like also the longer it goes on, it just is stretching people thinner and thinner. 100%. Yeah. You have to make 26000 to be qualified for the first level of SAG healthcare. And, you know, the longer people don't work, the longer, less jobs they have to complete that total in a year. But also we should just be paid more for the jobs we do book. So that number is easier to achieve. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So as someone who's completely not in the industry, who is a avid consumer of all this content, like what can someone like me do to support, to like add to the pressure on the production production? Is yeah. that what? It, yeah. The, does, and the streaming platforms, like what, how can we contribute to the conversation? I think, you know, people like yourself who have a platform, you know, there is always, you know, coming out and supporting SAG and the writers, you know, say I've got your back, you know, being aware of the issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the biggest thing is everybody's talked about it a little bit on social media is the idea of scabbing, you know, mm-hmm. especially influencers because they can't get you know, you can't promote projects anymore when there's a strike going on. So, you know, like the Oppenheimer cast left after the strag, the SAG strike was announced, like the Barbie press tour ended because oh, right. I did not even re- like put two and two together on that. It's wild, you know? Yeah. And so now they're going to turn to content creators to 
go and fill those spots and get eyeballs on it. And, you know, yeah. SAG and WGA asked that, please don't do that. You know, yeah. please don't support them while we are proving a point, you know. So that – I think that is the biggest way is just not, you know, not taking any deals or, you know, contracts with that. You know, we all love TV. We're not asking – not yet. Who knows? We're not asking people to unsubscribe from Netflix, you know, whatnot, even though I hate the home thing that now <laughs> only one home can have Netflix. I agree. I got kicked off my parents' Netflix. Me finals. too. I'm pissed. <laughs> Livid. And even though like I'm literally an engaged woman, we should maybe have our own Netflix account. I know. I know. How rude. <laughs> yeah. How I'm rude. like, I'm almost 30. I'm like, I is, is this an adulthood? Like, I'm not ready for this. I'm yeah. still on my parents' phone plan. Same. The, the audacity. But, you yeah. know, that I think that's the biggest thing is just being aware of what is going on is huge. Mm-hmm. Being in support yeah. of the actors, not taking those kinds of deals, you know, that's huge. And, you know, also who knows where influencer contracts in SAG are going to be in the future. And yeah. it is important to have them on your side. So mm-hmm. don't scab because being a scab will prevent your – ability to join the union one day. Mm-hmm. So, and they're being very serious about it. So, and, and just staying on top of it. It's easy. Get on TikTok, look at sag as TikTok. Like yeah. they will tell you right there straight up what, what to do. And, you know, they're mm-hmm. very supportive of all, of all the help. So yeah. Amazing. And if you really want, you can pick it, but like it's hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that's so informative so enlightening because obviously like I've seen the headlines I like somewhat know what's happening but obviously a lot of the like big media companies are not speaking from like on the ground experience of what it's truly like for the people in the industry and I've even seen headlines of like well these platforms aren't even profitable so how can they pay more blah blah I'm like really Jeff That's Bezos and Amazon Studios, they can't they can't afford to pay their talent, really. We're right. gonna have that. <laughs> We're gonna have that one. And it's interesting because Apple and Amazon are really unique because to them, having a theatrical division is like having play money. You know, it's yeah. very unique. Like we might as well have this side project. <laughs> we'll just make TV because we have so much money. And that is why it all comes back to what we started talking about when we kind yeah. of moved into Strike Land. Show us the numbers. If you're mm-hmm. really doing that bad in streaming, show us the numbers. Let yeah. us see. Let us see the that transparency. It's that bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. let us see it's that bad. Then, then, yeah. then we can talk. You know. Yeah. yeah. Totally understandable. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that was super helpful. I think for everyone to understand what's going on, to be in support, and this entire conversation was just super empowering. I think encouraging for anyone who has those big goals, who's on the journey, just to embrace the duality of it and embrace their inner it girl. So thank you so much. Please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can tune into Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl, all the things. Yes, absolutely. So every Tuesday, Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl, wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Instagram is Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. The podcast is, the TikTok for the podcast is want to be it girl podcast because confessions is too long and yeah i'm just on i'm there best place to find is really the podcast (laughs) amazing perfect thank you so so much marley we are supporting you in the strike and cheering you on doing all the things thank you so much thanks for having me thank you